All right, welcome. It's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day, none other than Dr. Jonathan Metzel, Director of the Department of Medicine, Health and Society, and Professor of Sociology and Psychiatry at Vanderbilt. Long ass title. <laughs> Always a fascinating breakdown. Top story of the day. Donald Trump needs a psychiatrist, and we got one. Okay, Trump is now saying, hey, all of those things I said, I was just lying. It's all bravado. Um, and DOJ likely to indict Donald Trump. Well, again, let me first go to Trump's, well, let's just say delusion. Here it is. You're not concerned then with your own voice on those on those recordings? My voice was fine. What did I say wrong in those recordings? I didn't even see the recording. All I know is I did nothing wrong. We had a lot of papers, a lot of papers stacked up. In fact, you could hear the rustle of the paper and nobody said I did anything wrong other than the fake news, which of course is Fox too. Are there any other recordings that we should be concerned of? Uh, I don't know of any recordings that you should be re, uh, concerned with because I don't do things wrong. I do things right. I'm a legitimate person. He's a legitimate person. He doesn't do things wrong. He does things right. Uh, he has not seen the recordings. All right, here's the information that leads us to believe that Donald Trump may be indicted again by the DOJ. Here it is. And to stay with you for a second, Neil, you also got Donald Trump's Secret Service agents, at least half a dozen of them now also being interviewed. You seem to have movement on fake electors, that there's been a lot of movement there in terms of it what looks like Jack Smith potentially building a case there as well that kind of mirrors what's happening in Georgia. Can How would all of these cases essentially be tried or proffered at once? Because it feels like there are just Jack Smith alone could do three or four cases himself. Yeah, I know exactly, Joy. I mean, if this were a TV show, we're like only in season two of what's likely to be a five or six season special at this point. Um, Jack Smith is certainly moving, it looks to me, to indict Trump for January 6th. The Secret Service bringing them in to testify before the grand jury is an extraordinary step. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Secret Service agents were literally in the room or the car where all this stuff happened on January 6th and in the days before January 6th. And there is is no privilege for Secret Service agents. Uh, Bill Clinton tried to assert a privilege back in 1999, and the US Supreme Court rejected it. So I think these cases will be staggered. You don't get like an extra benefit because you're a serial criminal and get to <laughs> delay them all. You gotta, you know, you, you, so they will all go to trial and they will be staggered in some way, shape, or form. I concur. I think Fulton County, Georgia will be the next one to indict very soon. I believe that indictment will absolutely have friends, so-called friends of Donald Trump testifying against him. I think the DOJ has a significant number of individuals who are part of his camp who testified against him during the grand jury. And I think more is to come. All right, let's put up the picture full mass. I think Joy Reid has been so remarkable at her coverage, big shout out to her. Let's get into it. Trump 
was indicted earlier this month on 37, count them, 37 federal counts stemming from his retention of government material upon leaving office. This was really about mishandling it. Smith alleges that Trump willfully kept classified documents and obstructed efforts to recover them. The ex-president has pleaded not guilty. Separately, Jack Smith is probing Trump's actions on and around the terrorist attack on January 6th, 2021, where a violent mob of his supporters stormed the Capitol in a vain attempt to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. It was the combination of Trump's lies about the contest being stolen from him and many of his supporters believing them. Let me say this clearly, if Donald Trump would have the last name Muhammad, we would say Trump radicalized individuals to commit acts of terrorism. That would be the narrative. But because he does not have the last name Muhammad, because he is in fact a rich, politically powerful white male, those narratives will not stick to him, even though the action and behavior is the same. Let us not forget it was Donald Trump who not only lied leading up to that point, he directly animated those individuals in front of him to engage in acts of violence. He told them he would be with them. Now maybe Secret Service can establish something that has been rumored. Donald Trump wanted to go to the Capitol. Donald Trump wanted to lead, literally lead the insurrection. And it was Secret Service who stopped it, who decided to do the unthinkable, to override a direct command from the President of the United States. That may be on the agenda very soon for discussion. There's more. Former President Donald Trump said he was lying. He said he was lying. When he said on the recording, quote, this is secret information, end quote. As the sound of papers being handled is heard, according to ABC News, quote, these are the papers. This was done by the military and given to me, Trump said to a writer, supposedly referring to a potential battle plan for Iran. See, as president, I could have declassified it. Now I can't, you know, but this is still a secret, end quote. There's more on Monday. Trump claimed the audio was actually an exoneration. This is now another defense. On Monday, he said it is an exoneration and did not deny that the content of the document or documents are related to the military in Iran. But then on Tuesday, he tried a new strategy, a new defense by claiming that he was actually just lying on the recording. Quote, I would say it was bravado. If you want to know the truth, it was bravado, he says. Trump told ABC News on board his plane on Tuesday. I was just talking and just holding up papers and talking about them, but I had no documents. I didn't have any documents. Trump stated he was simply holding up random papers. I just held up 
a whole pile of, my desk is loaded up with papers. I have papers from 25 different things, he said. A reporter posed the former question, the former president a question, if he regretted how he handled classified documents upon leaving the White House. He says, no, I have no regrets. I didn't have a classified document. There was no classified document on my desk, end quote. You have to look at that last that last sentence when the reporter says, do you have any regrets about how you handled classified information? No, no regrets because I did not have any on my desk at all. Trump has literally self-certified that it was him on the audio, which by the way, prosecution would have had to go through legal evidentiary rules in order to introduce it as authentic, non-edited, etc. But Donald Trump has self-certified that it was him. In addition to that, Donald Trump has also shown clearly that he understands what he did was wrong, illegal. How? How has he established his understanding of this? Clearly, one, by changing the defense and saying there was no classified document at all. And then by saying in the recording, it is in fact a classified document that he could have declassified while president, but no longer had the power to do so. Both of those scenarios indicates one thing, a victory for the prosecution, that's what it does. I don't see how he wiggles out of this. I don't think his attorneys do either, but they will make him think there's still hope because of two words, illable hours. All right, my dear brother, the psychology and psychosis runs deep with this one. What is your assessment here? I kind of divide it into two avenues that are over really overlap. The first, of course, is the psychology. I mean, hearing Trump talk now, and who knows where where they're catching him for these segments, but he looks a lot less. There's a lot less bravado going on yeah. that we've seen from Trump in the past. He looks tired, and he looks. I mean, I I don't know. Maybe it's the middle of the night, and he's done 90 interviews already, but he looks afraid. And and the way he's talking right now, he's he's kind of saying the right words, but this repeated resist resist you know insistence. I've done nothing wrong. I'm a good person. It, it's it feels very it feels very afraid to me in a way. And so I think there is at least from these from these quotes. And, and again, who knows what context they're in? And I've obviously never spoken to the president, so I don't have a um, you know I've never interviewed him or anything. Um, but I would just say that this repeated insistence of like, I'm a good person, I'm a good person. It feels like what you would do like in eighth grade, you know, like I know you are, but what am I? Or you're the paper, or I'm the glue or all these kind of things you would say as a kid that would kind of deflect, but it just, it just doesn't, it doesn't land right now in a way. And so it'll be interesting to see how that is. And then of course the legal part is that his strategy, I mean, his strategy, if you're a lawyer, is like the dudes out there admitting to the crimes that he's being prosecuted for. Um, so it seems to me like there's only two ways he wiggles out of it, just following on what you're saying. One is that he wins the presidency and then he pardons himself. And the other is that he makes a deal with someone who's going to win the presidency, who's then gonna pardon him. And, and so yeah. it will be important to pay attention to people like DeSantis, who are already saying, I'll pardon Trump on the, on the first day. And so this hasn't, totally played out and I think there are a lot of ways that it can go. But this isn't the same Trump who was like, I break all the rules and nothing ever happens to me before. It looks a little different to me. Yeah, I noticed that as well, doctor. 
that his bravado has decreased and he's no longer talking in ways that would indicate he's above the law. All right, 93 year old woman fighting for her home, her property, put it up full mass. This is a damn shame. Ms. Josephine Wright has to go through this. 93 years of age from Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. Told the news, the local news that Bailey Point Investment Group, let me say that again. Bailey Point Investment Group, these are developers, have been harassing her to get her to sell the land that her home sits on. The Jonesville Road property has been in her family since just after the Civil War. Acquired after her husband's relatives who were Geechee, escaped bondage and were freed by the union. Despite the home's rich history, the developers want to tear it down for construction. Bailey Point is developing the land behind her house according to a 29 acre comprehensive one 147 unit plan. Wright's home reportedly sits in the way of their progress. First, Bailey Point offered to buy Wright's land from her and began harassing her when she refused. Wright accused the developers of slashing her tires, throwing trash in her yard, and even hanging a snake in her window. She said, and I quote, It puzzled me at first, but then it got me angry, she said. I guess they figured I would become so unnerved with the harassment that I would say, take it, but they don't know me. I am here to fight for what I have. I wanna just keep my property and them leave me alone. Bailey Point filed a lawsuit against the 93 year old woman property owner soon after claiming that portions of her home were on its property. A porch, shed and satellite dish. Wright told WSAV she'd already paid $1,900 to move her shed and remove, remove her satellite dish. However, she admitted contention with their claim about her porch, she said, you can see I'm at least 12 feet away from the borderline, which is right there. Now, let me say this before I move any further. Um, there's a dynamic called qualitative easing. I'm gonna get into that when I do the follow-up of this story. But I believe that there's a dynamic that has not been explored by Ms. Wright. Let's put up the picture full mask. For now, she's requesting help. Wright has hired an attorney. Her family has started a GoFundMe, asking for funds to assist her with her growing legal expenses. A very decent person decided to make a huge contribution. Based on the GoFundMe donations, it appears that NBA star Kyrie Irving donated 40,000. Big ups, it's a good, good deed. Now, 
you all have not had the benefit of hearing the 93 year old great grandmother have a conversation or talk to the news, I have. When I tell you this woman is sharp, she is sharp. I mean, very sharp. She's also fearless, has no fear in her body at all. I wish we had more leaders like that today. I don't think she's going anywhere anytime soon. We stand with you. For those who are watching, I encourage you to support the effort by contributing to the GoFundMe. Cases like this can become very complex, especially when you're dealing with large developers. You know why? Because those developers, well, they have lobbying groups. And those lobbying groups, they have advocated their position with lawmakers. And those lawmakers have created laws that are so damn complex that the everyday citizen has a hard time navigating. So it requires a specialist like an attorney and attorneys cost money, all right? Doc, what are your thoughts here? How many stories like this don't we hear? Because it happens all the time, right? And so basically these large developers have endless funds and the minute they get you in court, they can drain you dry on, on legal fees. And so people are forced to sell their property for far less than it's worth. I, I wish we lived in a country where there was more consumer protection. I think that's a very important goal. I think hopefully we can use cases like this to advocate for that. Um, but it ties back to your last story. I mean, the Trump Corporation <laughs> are developers. They do the, I mean, we, right. we reward people who do this kind of thing all the time. And so amazing story of this woman, total support for her. And I, and I hope it turns out. And I also just think it's a bigger issue, which is the rights of individuals when you're kind of in the crosshairs of very well-funded developers who want your land or your property. Yep, and your local government has basically already signed off on it. All right, he's speaking. The young Ralph Yarl, the young man who was shot for simply going to the wrong home, being a good young man, has spoken. Here it is. When you go back to April 13th, tell me what happened when you go to that address. Well, I go into the driveway. I walk up the steps, I I ring the doorbell. I see three different cameras, like one looking at the driveway, one on the porch. As far as I know, I didn't know their family at all. Like I had never even seen their friends or their parents before. So maybe this is their house. I hear the door open, I see this old man, and I'm assuming, oh, this is this must there be like their grandpa. And then he pulls out his gun. And I'm like, whoa. So I like back up, he points it at me. So I kind of like brace and I turn my head. Before that I'm thinking, there's no way he's actually gonna shoot, right? The door is even open, he's gonna shoot through his glass door and glass is gonna get everywhere. Then it happened and then I'm on the ground. I fall on the glass, the shattered glass. And then before I know it, I'm running away shouting, help me, help me. Were there any words that were exchanged before he shot you? He only said five words, don't come here ever again. Wow, the young man posed no threat, 
immediately backed away, saw the weapon, turned his head to get away even more. And then he shot, whole life changed. Let's put up the picture of the man who did this to him. I will say, and I concur with his attorney, Lee Merritt, the recovery has been miraculous for this young man. The Kansas City teenager who was shot after he went to the wrong house to pick up his siblings has now spoken publicly about the ordeal sitting down with Good Morning America. Y'all was shot in the head and in the right arm and suffered a traumatic brain injury. Andrew Lester, 84, was charged with one count of felony assault in the first degree and one count of felony armed criminal action. He should have been charged with attempted murder. He pleaded not guilty on April 18th, was released on a $200,000 bond. When reached for comment, Lester's attorney said the court prohibits Lester from discussing the case, but is looking forward to the upcoming preliminary hearing. Uh, Once again, put up the picture. To remind you of what a monster looks like. Now his family members went on national television to let you know how racist he is. One family member said he really was not surprised that this happened. 10 weeks after the shooting, y'all has made a full physical recovery, but still has mental and emotional trauma. Here it is. There are a lot of things that are going on inside my head aren't normal. I've been having headaches, um, trouble with sleep. And sometimes my my mind is just foggy. Like I can't concentrate on the things that would be easy for me to do. You're looking at a kid that took the SAT when he was in the eighth grade and now his brain is slowed. So physically he looks fine, but there's a lot that has been taken from him. What do you want people to know about you, Ralph? I'm just a kid, not larger than life because this happens to me. I'm just gonna keep doing all the stuff that makes me happy and just living my life the best I can. The family's lawyer, is calling for this to be investigated as a hate crime. Should have been investigated as a hate crime from day one. And the young Mr. Yarl is such a remarkable young man. He said he doesn't hold any ill feelings against the man who shot him. But he simply wants him to be held accountable for his actions. He's brilliant, he's compassionate, He's responsible and he has been forced to become a man. Doc, tell us about 
traumatic brain injuries. And what is the experience to the best of your academic and um, scholarly understanding? What is the experience he's likely going to face moving forward? Well, the fact that he's still alive is absolutely a miracle. The fact that he was shot not once but twice. I think the shooter came out afterwards and shot him when he was on the yeah. ground, also shot at him. Um, so thankfully, um, it didn't obviously take a, a direct hit. Um, he's gonna suffer from these symptoms quite significantly and it's going to be a very slow road back. And for someone who's had a history of very high functioning cognitively, it's gonna be very frustrating because mm. just learning how to think again after you've had damage like this is a very slow road. Now he's incredible. Um, but I do think there's something else about this case. You mentioned the word racism. And I, and I think there are two levels of racism that are at play. Certainly there's the implicit bias of someone who answers the door and sees someone and judges them immediately based on their skin color and then acts accordingly. So certainly there is individual level hate if this becomes a hate crime prosecution. But the other level of racism is the law, right? The law that is called a defensive use gun law. We used to have, even in Missouri, I'm from Missouri. It used to be if you're armed, you're, you had a duty to stand down that shooting someone was just a last resort. Your duty was to de-escalate first. And what they've done with these stand your ground laws based on something called the castle doctrine is to say, you can step forward, you can fire your gun, even when you feel threatened, when you feel threatened. And so this feeling of feeling threatened justifies people firing their gun when they feel threatened. And so the law itself encourages the kind of outcomes that we're seeing in these shootings. And so this trial is gonna be really interesting because I really do feel like the law itself needs to be on trial and it ultimately needs to be overturned. I completely agree with your sentiment and what states have done, they have taken what should be a very objective standard and they have made it a subjective standard to how you feel. You see, it doesn't work in any other context, doctor, you can't say, well, I felt like I was going under the speed limit. Um, I felt as if I did not have too many drinks tonight. It doesn't work, but it works when you kill somebody. Makes no sense. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We still have a lot of show left. Let me read some of these amazing and beautiful comments. Won't be able to read them all, but I appreciate everyone still the same. Uh, don't forget to join us on the podcast as well. If you miss the live show, we always put the show on the podcast platform, wherever you get your podcast from. All right, that's good stuff, okay. Uh, let me remind everyone of the imposter. There's an imposter, so several audience members have alerted us. If you don't see the official, official um, channel logo for YouTube uh, in particular, it's not us. I am not, and we are not soliciting anything. And make sure if someone is impersonating me or this program, report them to the platform and report them to us. All right, we want to handle it as quickly as possible. Okay, 
Ladies and gentlemen, I wish a Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're going to feel French. Back off. I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. I mean, no home training, where are your parents? These are hooligans. So this is actually a throwback, Karen. And I'm highlighting how we have not become better as a society. Karenicity has become worse. So let's do it this way, put it up for a mask. Who wants to destroy a damn sand sculpture that you did not build? That's just mean, especially one like this. According to the reports, a 15 year old girl was taken into custody in relation to the incident that occurred in 2019. Remember throwback, this was at the Royal Hawaiian Hotel. A second juvenile suspect, a 17 year old was taken into custody at a later date on suspicion of second degree criminal property damage. Police estimated that the damages caused to the sand sculpture amounted to over $1,500. The original had to be flown from Florida to Hawaii to repair the art piece, all right? Uh, the artist, uh, let's put them up. The artist expressed that this act of vandalism was the most outrageous and destructive behavior he has encountered in all of his years of sculpting. But it did get restored, all right? So kind of happy ending, I do hope uh, they pay the artist more money to make that trip and do the additional work, but come on. Why would you wanna destroy that? You take a picture, you enjoy it, it's a beautiful thing, be inspired by it. All right, doc, what is this thing? And we've seen it in context that are different, right? We've seen people destroy artwork that may signify, um, an iconic African-American. Uh, we have seen people destroy artwork just because, or at least that's what they proclaim when caught. What's the deal with this? Why do people wanna destroy things that are beautiful, things that are expressions of art? I, I, bl I blame social media right now, honestly. Hmm. I, I feel like we live in a world where the most extreme and outrageous stuff is what you get rewarded for in a way. So you do something horrible, and you go viral. The worst thing you do, the more clicks you get, which is monetized by social media. And so I'm sure this was happening before, and we have lots of different examples from history, even recently, you know, the Taliban blowing up sculptures or yeah. people in France gluing themselves to, um, you know, to great pieces of art. Um, but I would also say that there's a reward. It's not just bad, it's also good in a way, because people, the, the worst stuff they do, the more they get notoriety and the more social media companies make money. So there's a whole infrastructure. I mean, when's the last time you saw a video that was 
people walk by sand sculpture and nothing happens. You never see that because that's that's just everyday life. And so you do something horrible and you you benefit from it in a way. And really what we need to do is change the algorithms um, or this kind of thing I, I worry is just gonna keep happening. Yeah, and they allow for changes of algorithm on social media platforms, but you you basically have to be a technologist to know how to do it. Okay, anti-Karens, unite. You're screaming at employees at Walmart, get out of here. That's racist. Yes, it is. No, it's not. The United States doesn't have an official language, jackass. So I have mixed feelings about this one. It is quite possible all three of them are Karens. Okay, let me say that for the record. Um, it seems as if the walker was holding her hands out as a statement to say, you should not have your bicycle here and respect this amount of space. Maybe there was a hit, a punch. Hmm. I didn't see that, I'm saying it didn't happen. I also question if he would have responded that way if it were a man who was walking and did that. I just got questions, uh, but I will say be very careful about doing anything aggressive against strangers. You just never know who they are, what day they're having or what level they're willing to take it to. That's just general advice for everybody. Doc, how do you see this? <laughs> I feel bad for the little dog in the backpack. You know, <laughs> kind of an innocent bystander and all this. I mean, I, this mean. one, this one is hard, right? I'm a biker. I, I when I'm in New York, I bike everywhere. When I'm in Nashville, I bike everywhere. Um, biking on the sidewalk is hard. People just get freaked out by it. Yeah. Um, and so, I I worry. You know, the thing I worry about is bikers getting really self righteous in a way. And then, you know, I've seen bikers bang on the windows of cars and, you know, kick tires and stuff like that. Like bikers are just one of many modes of trans transportation. So I'm not supporting what this woman did. I'm not quite sure. Um, but I would also say that this kind of self-righteous biker, like they're, I just think they're, they're dueling Karen narratives here. And, and I just think bikers need to be worried, wary, especially, especially if you're biking on the sidewalk. You know, it's kind of where you're not supposed to be. So there's there's a bigger story here, but let's just let's just all group hug on the dog uh, and and, right. and and take the bigger lesson. That's right. Let the dog bring us all together. Yeah. All right. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. All right. Welcome back. A lot of show left. Let me read some of these amazing comments. Ronald Rogers, thank you so much for that. We appreciate you. Uh, C. Michael Henson, thank you, C. Michael. When you have anger toward everyone reaching success, haters, H-A-T-E-R-S, uh, that is amazing. Hate 
anger toward everyone reaching success, haters. I like what you did there. That is why, that is what those sand sculpture destroying teams are, haters. Um, um, Havar Ellis, did you see the way that biker drifted? That was gangster. <laughs> he did, right? Like it was perfectly top as if he practiced this move before. I concur. Okay, really sad story about fears and the law. A woman who is a passenger inside of an Uber starts to believe that the Uber driver is trying to kidnap her. So she kills him. Put up the picture for a mask. A Kentucky woman, her name is Phoebe Copas has now been charged with murder after shooting her Uber driver because she feared he was trying to kidnap her. Put up the Uber driver. His name was Daniel Garcia. He was taken off life support last Wednesday, days after he was shot by Ms. Copas. Let me give you the background as to what happened. Police said Ms. Copas of Tompkinsville, Kentucky was visiting her boyfriend in El Paso and took an Uber to meet him at a casino after he got off work. That's according to KFOX News. When Ms. Copas saw signs during the drive for Mexico, she believed the Uber driver was kidnapping her and taking her to Mexico per KTSM report. At this point, Copas took a handgun out of her purse and shot the Uber driver in the back of the head, shot him in the back of the head, right? And also uh, the wrist causing the car to crash into barriers and on the freeway. Copas did not tell law enforcement she feared for her safety before shooting the Uber driver, okay, Mr. Garcia. She took a photo of the wounded Uber driver and sent it to her boyfriend before calling 911. The TV station reported. Mr. Garcia is the sole provider for his family. He had just recently returned to work after undergoing knee surgery. He was hardworking according to his family. After the shooting, Mr. Garcia was taken to a local hospital and was put on life support. However, after being told he would never recover, the family made the decision, one of the most difficult decisions the family will ever make, of taking him off of life support and saying goodbye. Ms. Copas was originally charged with aggravated assault, causing serious bodily injury and held on a $1 million bond. Mr. Garcia died after being taken off of life support and her charges were then upgraded to murder. And bond was set at 1.5 million. Mr. Garcia's family said he is a loving man who wanted to provide for those he loves. And while he doesn't have children of his own, he has many children, godchildren, 
he mentored individuals that he guided, provided for. They are now all devastated that he's gone. His niece, Didi Lopez, believes stereotypes played into this. Stereotypes about the border, about Mexicans played into this paranoia, according to the niece. They make assumptions, Didi says. They make assumptions, they see stuff maybe on the news, maybe on social media. And stuff that's not necessarily true and when they come here, they come without really knowing. For someone who was fearing for her life, you would think that the first thing you would do is call the authorities, but she took other actions. Uber has released a statement, here it is. We are horrified by the rioters actions. Violence is not tolerated on the Uber platform and we banned the rioter. As soon as we were made aware of what occurred, our thoughts are with Mr. Garcia and his loved ones. And have been in touch with his family, our public safety team stands at the ready to assist police as needed. One of the saddest, most avoidable stories I've talked about today. And let me tell you why, a few things, number one. Let's just say she doesn't have a gun. Let's just say she has no gun on her, okay? And she is in fear of her life, but she doesn't have a gun. That may end in an argument, at worst, a physical altercation, and then a realization that it was all a misunderstanding. He was never trying to kidnap anybody. She just did not know the signage properly. But everybody lives, even if you're upset. Everybody lives, even if somebody gets banned from Uber. Everybody survives. Now let's also talk about what the niece said. The contrary narrative that suggests that somehow those who are close to the border or those who are Mexican or those who are not like you are inherently violent. Hell bent on violence against you. See, that's a false narrative as well. What happened here should have never occurred. If there's a confusion, there's some objection, there's a conversation. That seemingly did not happen. And I gotta say, I do believe the woman was probably in fear. Of her life. Now, here's the thing. She was in fear of being kidnapped. Now, we've seen individuals proclaim that defense who were not afraid. They just made it up. They don't get charged or their charges get dropped. Uh, Madam, this will not be your fate. I can guarantee you that. Uh, you're going to face the penalty for what you have done. And maybe this story helps provide a significant reflection for others to learn from. It's very sad that Mr. Garcia had to pay the ultimate price for that lesson to be learned, if a lesson is learned at all. Doc, what's your thoughts here? I could not agree more. 
I mean, this is the story we hear. And for me, the question is always the same. Are we going to change the laws? Because mm-hmm. when um, when guns and, and permissive, what are called defensive gun use laws, enable people to act on their perception of fear, this is what happens. Somebody gets in a car they think is an Uber. We saw that a couple of months ago. Somebody rings the wrong door. We saw that in the story or in the earlier segment. Um, And when guns are part of the narrative, that becomes the explanatory model. Like I fear and then I shoot. And and it's it's supported by the law. And really what we see when we study this stuff, this is my research, is that there really is a racial politics to this. White Americans much more often get freed when they say, I fear for my life, whereas black Americans and other people are convicted uh, because it's it's this question of self-defense is not neutral. It's not neutral, right. it's got a historical precedent, it's got a legal precedent. And, and so, th- and what you don't allow for is there's no going back from it, that, that people's misperceptions, sometimes your perception of fear is a real thing. And sometimes it's based in the bias you bring to the interaction or a misperception of cues or just a wrong interpretation of what's exactly happening, like here, all of those things. And so when are we gonna change these just insane and murderous laws that let people, civilians with no training, shoot first and ask questions later? Very well said. All right. The police, they beat, according to the narrative, beat and drag a naked, unconscious woman. Here's the video. Put up the picture full mass. According to the post, you can read it there. It says the woman they're dragging is unconscious, Shreveport police. Shocking video online allegedly shows the Shreveport Police Department beating and dragging a near naked woman. Two graphic videos posted to the social media platform, TikTok, claim to show heavily armed police officers in Louisiana brutalizing a black woman and dragging her nearly naked across the field. According to the user who posted the video, quote, they was at the trail ride. Her and her cousin got into a fight multiple times and she was trying to leave, but her cousin wouldn't give her the keys. When the police came to intervene, the officer reportedly struck the woman in the head, according to follow-up comments. That you see here. This is not the first time we've covered this department. A Shreveport police officer was arrested in February for shooting, for, for the shooting death of an unarmed black man in Louisiana. Officer Alexander Tyler was arrested on a charge of negligent homicide in the shooting death of 43-year-old Alonzo Bagley. Let's put him up. Remember that story? Buck stops with the chief. Let's put it with the chief of police. 
His name is Wayne Smith. His department has yet to make any public comment on the incident or even identify the officers involved. We are requesting that they do so. Um, Doc, this is one of those stories where social media will highlight memes, will say, Doc, look at this. They'll tag me, they will tag the show. And all of the pieces are not present. So I say clearly, I want more information. But I'm comfortable, I'm comfortable presenting what I do know in order to get what I do not know. Most would not do that, I do. What we saw was egregious enough. If a person is unconscious, that means likely doc, they need to go to a doctor. They need to go to a hospital if they're unconscious. Why would we drag someone who's unable to respond? So I leave it at that. What say you? I, I really agree. I mean, I think your show does such incredible work in this regard, which is what is the outlet when stuff like this happens? And you're not saying these people should go to jail or these people should not go to jail. You're not weighing in on the outcome. You're saying here's something that really shouldn't happen. And from what we know, there needs to be something. We need to look into this. And more often than not, what it seems like is you're finding some pretty egregious injustice for stories that really aren't told that much. I mean, I'm thinking back about the one we did a couple of months ago about the jail and the and the uh, the guards um, just um, basically destroying a guy who was in a wheelchair or you know yep. that kind of thing. And so, um, you know, the, these stories are stories that are untold, and it's just unfortunate that the legal mechanisms that we can decide if this was just or unjust to put some context around that very often are broken down, and then it turns into. Let's shed some light on this. And so I, I think telling the story of what happens here um, is is really important. I mean, I think context is really important, but I'm I'm just glad there are outlets like this where where people have something to turn to uh, to be able to tell that story. Thank you, brother. We appreciate all that you continue to do for the culture as well. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. All right, welcome back, a lot of show left. Let me read a couple of comments, I'm kind of pressed for time. All right. Okay, all right, I guess no comments, all right. Now, there is a story worth highlighting. There's a road rage incident that's one of the scariest I've ever heard. Let's put up the picture full mass. In Texas, Kevin Roth is accused of pointing a gun at a black woman during a road rage incident. You see the picture there. Now imagine there's a road rage incident and this guy is chasing you with a gun. Let me give you background. In Harris County, Texas, while a black woman was waiting in a traffic at a traffic light, there was a brief moment before she went through the light once it turned green. During that moment, Kevin Roth immediately honked at her for not already going through the light. To her surprise and immediate reaction, she decided to honk back at Mr. Roth, the driver behind her. After she honked back at the driver, she instantly noticed that he pulled out a gun. That's a cowardly move. She says that's when she took off and sped to a gas station in the public area. 
I had already seen the gun in the car, so I didn't want to just pull over like a regular car accident. She said, after pulling into a Phillips gas station, she got out of her car and ran into the gas station. Video shows Roth closely following the black woman with his gun pointed at her back. After the woman attempted to leave the store, video shows that Roth followed her back to her car and tried to take the keys out. The raging madness continues after Roth had already attempted to extract the keys, take it from her ignition. He then got back in his car and proceeded to hit her car again with the hope of keeping her from leaving the station. The black woman said that's when he started shouting racial slurs. The woman scared for her life says that quote, I honestly didn't think he would pull a gun out in the public and chase me. As she continued to say that he was like, get on the ground right now. The woman says that while Roth was aiming the gun at her, she was scared and that she could see that he was kind of scared too, visually noticing him shaking. And, and I will say this, I don't think he was scared, I think he was amped, okay? He was shaking his hands, that's why I was scared. I'm scared because you're scared. He could have done anything to me out of fear. We're gonna get to that in just a moment because Doc just highlighted that dynamic, she's right. Deputies arrived to the scene and afterwards confiscated the gun from Roth. They arrested him and charged him with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Um, rescued in tears, my heart was just racing. When the police got there, I was just in tears, the woman says. Roth was later released on a $25,000 bond. That is so low for what he did in my opinion. With the Harris County Sheriff's Office claiming that Roth had not been charged with any prior offenses other than minor traffic offenses. Uh, I just want you to keep in mind $25,000 go through a bonding company. Okay, you get out for $2,500. Okay, Doc, she says something quite real, quite relevant. She said she was afraid because he could have killed her and simply said, I feared for my life. Talk to that. You know, we have, we have deputized people to act on their fears by whipping out guns. And what do you think is going to happen? These, you know, road rage, partner violence, somebody knocking on your door. These are moments where you're encountering strangers and then you jump to all kinds of conclusions based on assumptions, biases, implicit biases about race, about aggression, about something else that's so often are based on your own psychology, not based on the interaction or the other person. In Tennessee, we have deputized people to have the same rights as police officers. They have the same protections. If you shoot somebody and you imagine that you're like John Wayne stopping a crime or something like that, you get the same you get the same protection. So this guy's acting like a white hero cop savior, right? Get on the ground. I'm saving the world from blah 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 blah. This is the outcome of the laws that we have in, that we have put into place and the laws again need to be changed because defensive gun use and a lot of this open carry without any regulation at all leads to these kind of actions. Now this guy 
is this is horrible and this is obviously a very extreme case, but it's not like it's the outlier of a million. It, it's 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 the tip of an iceberg um, of a lot of other things that are happening. It's not like this is such an outlier that this kind of thing never happened before. Well said. Well said. You want to know why the Muslim faith has had its advancements? It's because the Muslims were willing to die for their belief. They were willing to strap bombs to their chest. They believed in the afterlife. God give us some men and women that'll get a hold of some passion in their spirit and said, I will lay down my life for the gospel. You see. If you were Muslim, sir, you would probably be under investigation for radicalizing your congregants. But because you are a white nationalist Christian, you will get basically a pass for these types of statements. Let's put up his picture full mass. I'm going to correct him theologically. Regeneration Nashville pastor Kent Christmas is his name, a major supporter of Donald Trump. No surprise. Also once said, and I quote, in the eyes of God, the president of the United States right now in the courts of justice in heaven is not Joe Biden, but it's Donald Trump. That's what he said. He said, according to heaven and God, the real president is Donald Trump. Let's talk about the troubling statements he's making in reference to violence, because these are things that Trump actually wants. He wants people to be violent on his behalf to silence the naysayers inside of the Republican Party in particular, but generally all around. So this preacher says that you should basically Commit suicide, kill yourself uh, in order to affect the spreading of the gospel. You should die for it. Preacher, let me remind you of what Jesus actually said, Yahshua in the proper tongue. Jesus said, no greater love than this for man to lay down his life for another person. Not the gospel, not religion. Not ideology, but a person. The scripture also says, how can you hate your brethren whom you see every day, but claim you love God whom you have never seen? You are a liar and the truth is not in you. Or how about this scripture preacher? God is love, which also means love is God. Study on those, come back with a corrected theological overview. Stop radicalizing those who you are supposed to feed spiritually. All right, sharing thoughts. Well, he's nutty. Baptized at the age of nine, been preaching since 17. Yep. I think I read about him yep. and his lovely wife, Candy Christmas yep. and their church there. And apparently it took all these years, Dr. Ritchie, for him to find his calling, his true calling in the church of Trump. This is what they do. And I don't know if he can be deprogrammed or those who unfortunately follow this. Yeah, 
is very sad, taking advantage of people that probably are very decent, but also very manipulated. All right, a bit of good news. Dr. Yusuf Salam, one of the Central Park Five, has won his political primary. One step closer to representing the people of Harlem. He's a good friend of mine, a dear friend of mine. But I tell you, I'm so proud of him. And think about the irony, while Donald Trump is on his way to prison, while Donald Trump is under multiple indictments, we have Dr. Yusuf Salam. Let's put his picture up. Dr. Yusuf Salam, who has won his primary election. It was Donald Trump who said, basically, they should die. And when they were exonerated, Trump doubled down and still doubted their innocence. 34 years after Trump led a lynch mob to execute him and four other wrongly accused young black and brown men, Yusuf Salam of the exonerated five has declared victory in the New York City Council race to represent Harlem. Central Park Five member Yusuf Salam wins Democratic City Council primary in Harlem. The headline reads, let's go to his victory speech, I would say, here it is. If y'all saw where I was on the ballot, started from the bottom. This campaign has been about those who have been forgotten. This, this campaign has been about our Harlem community who has been pushed into the margins of life and made to believe that they were supposed to be there. What has happened in this campaign has restored my faith in knowing that I was born for this. Every single thing that happens to you happens for you. Having to be kidnapped from my home as a 15 year old child to be lodged in the belly of the beast. I was gifted to turn that experience into the womb of America. I was gifted because I was able to see it for what it really was. A system that was trying to make me believe that I was my ancestor's wildest nightmare. But I am my ancestor's wildest dream. Let's put up the picture of when Dr. Dr. Yusuf Salam actually came and visited me in my studio uh, to hand me his book. Uh, him and also our dear brother, um, Raymond Santana, who was also exonerated from the Central Park Five conviction. Uh, they came to the studio and it was such a heartfelt, um, such a heartfelt day. And he presented me with a signed copy of his book called Words of a Man. And I didn't realize how 
profound this book would be. But these are poems written by Dr. Yusuf Salam while he was incarcerated. Oh man, if you don't have this book, get it. Because it gives you an idea of how a person can still carry light inside of them in the midst of nothing but darkness around them. Very proud of you, dear brother. All right, Doc, thoughts here. The, the great minds of our society are able to transcend horror like this yeah. um, and add something to the world. I mean, you think about um, Dr. King's letters from, uh, you know, letter right. from a Birmingham jail or other people who are who are incarcerated. I honestly, I think if it was me, I would turn in. I would go dark. I would think, you know, the system. I'm I'm giving up in a way. And the fact that when people do this, it's really a sign of a remarkable person that somebody can yeah. turn around and say, I'm going to make this system better. I'm not going to give up on it. I'm in fact going to contribute to it. And and it's really a challenge, right? It's really a challenge. So I, I have a feeling this is the beginning of, of a career that we're going to hear a lot more about. That's right. Uh, and he has so much integrity, just very proud of the people that elected him and very proud of him for stepping up and serving in this capacity. Doc, always good to have you on the program. Tell people how they can follow you, check out your great work. Well, you can always follow me um, as long as it's still standing. You can always DM me or follow me on the artist formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> um, my, my website is uh, dyingofwhiteness.com and I've got a new book coming out at the end of January about uh, black victim mass shootings in America and what they teach us about American values. So looking forward to that book. Thank you, my friend, for everything you do. Take care. Thanks so much. You too. All right. The bullpen is next. Stick and stay. All right, welcome back. Let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. She's back. We have Dr. Tiffany Lloyd, known as Dr. Tiff by everyone. Remarkable individual, social scientist, beautiful inside and out. Always good to have you on the show. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. How are you? Doing quite well. Now, I'm doing even better because I'm seeing the implosion of the Republican Party, and rightfully so, for backing a serial liar, for allowing the destruction of the nation, while at the same time telling us that we're wrong, that somehow those on the left are just wrong about Donald Trump. Now they're saying, no, we were actually right. So we're gonna talk about Chris Christie and his campaign and what Trump is saying about him and what he's saying about Trump. And then let's get into the Donald Trump dynamic where Trump fights himself almost every day. <laughs> uh, so what's, what are your thoughts, what's your sentiment about um, Chris Christie and his campaign being completely adversarial to Donald Trump? I think it's a walk of hypocrisy. Remember mm -hmm. in 2016, um, Governor Christie ran unsuccessfully for the Republican nomination and did not win. And then he backed President Trump and they were feuding then. And then after that, President Trump hired him. And then what happens, President Trump 
fires him and his transition team. And then Governor Christie said it's due to bad blood because of Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. Now he's saying that Trump is a bully on the schoolyard, if you will. Now they are fat shaming each other. But then what is interesting is that Governor Christie, and I quote, he said, if we are people of faith, then one of the cornerstones of faith is character. I question, will President, will Governor Christie have this same mindset if he doesn't get the Republican nomination and President Trump does? Will he go back to backing Trump? Because he said a lot of bad things about Trump when he, when he was running against Trump in 2016. So I question, are you just saying this because you're running against him and, and you are now enemies? Uh, are you or are you going to have a different tune if President Trump is the Republican nominee? Because believe it or not, President Trump still has a strong base. Yeah, you make a great point, and I actually caught this also when he made that impromptu speech mm-hmm. about character. And wait a minute, sir, you hand delivered Donald Trump. You took out Rubio on his behalf. You were the leader of the transition team. You wanted a position of power. You did not get it. You were basically silent for years, telling uh, telling us we were wrong about Donald Trump. But you hit something quite fascinating. I want to explore it for a moment. Mm-hmm. Everybody talked against Donald Trump in 2016. Yeah, all of the Republicans had an antithetical message to Trump, including Lindsey Graham. Yes. So now, the question you pose is so relevant because. Is Chris Christie going to do the exact same thing he did Mm -hmm. in 2016, being adversarial to Trump while there's a campaign, but then Trump gets the nomination and all of a sudden, Trump is a Christian evangelical, right? Mm -hmm. So, So how do you think this plays in the context of Republican voters trusting Chris Christie at any level? You know, I think it's hard because one thing that I've noticed about both of them is that they always use God when it's so mm-hmm. convenient, right? That's just like everyday church people. We want to use God when it's convenient. But if you're going back to Governor Christie's words about showing character, well, then my message would be to Governor Chris Christie is let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Right. And also, the good book tells us that a double minded man is unstable in all his ways. So the American people are watching you. How can we trust you if one minute you are attacking Trump, but then when President Trump is now in the forefront, then you come back and endorse him. This seems like this is a pattern of Governor Christie. So it's hard for the American people to trust you when you're not consistent in what you're saying. I think there's no honor in any of them. I don't think there's honor in Christie. I don't think there's honor in Donald Trump. I believe these individuals have mechanisms of power. They have avenues to get to that power. I think Chris Christie has simply chosen an avenue more so than a transformational dynamic has happened inside of him. And all of a sudden he feels like he needs to save the world from Donald Trump because that sentiment was not there. While he was working for Trump, nor was it there while Trump was president of the United States still having access to power. Why do you think it's so difficult for Republicans to just simply check power? And I, and I say this in all due respect, um, I have to check power, you have to check power. I have to check power on the right, I got to check power on the left. I got some folk I'd rather be friends with, but it is necessary for me 
to call out when necessary. You mm-hmm. have to be able to check. For, why don't you see that on the right as much anymore? Because it's a lack of integrity. Because mm. if I am your friend and if I love you, if I care about you, then it is my job to tell you, Dr. Richie, that you are wrong about something. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I am against you. It doesn't mean that I am your enemy, but true friendship, true leadership. It is our job to tell people what they need to hear and not what they want to hear. We are looking at individuals who are used to getting away with so much. And now that they are being called out, now that they are being exposed, it's like little children throwing a temper tantrum. Donald Trump obviously facing a lot of charges. You got Manhattan, you got the DOJ. You have Fulton County, Georgia, they're coming next with charges, I believe. And I think the DOJ is going to indict him again for his actions on January 6th. The indictment itself does not stop him from running for president. However, if he's convicted, it creates a significant situation. Number one, under the Espionage Act, there may be a caveat about holding public office or holding a position of public trust. But I think he may overcome that. Then it's the issue of being on the ballot. Because all Republican states have banned anyone who has a felony conviction from being able to actually vote or run for political office. They would have to literally change the law in order to allow him to get ballot access. What say you to that potential reality? I wouldn't be shocked if some of the Republican states, if not all of the Republican states did change the law to make it convenient for President Trump. Um, President Trump. Um, I think that we're living at a time where President Trump, it's amazing that President Trump is a man. For example, he encouraged police to be rough. He told police don't be too nice to suspects. He said, don't worry about for people that are in custody hitting their heads on squad cars. But now that the tables are turned, ladies and gentlemen, this is a man now who plays the victim. This is a man who said he would not apologize for the Central Park Five of five wrongfully convicted African American and Latino men who were wrongfully convicted of raping a woman. But now, ladies and gentlemen, under the sound of my voice, for this man to be the first president in our nation's history to be indicted on charges, now he is the victim. He didn't care, now now he's criticizing the police, but before then he was telling police officers to not be nice to suspects. What happened to not having cruel and unusual punishment? So I say that I would not be surprised if Republican states like Texas, uh, Kentucky, other states of Florida would not change laws um, that would make it convenient for them. So fascinating and honestly so true. Dear sister, always a pleasure having you on the program. Thank you for all you continue to do to advocate for communities who need it. How can people follow you? Check out your great work. Uh, You can follow me on Instagram at Tiffany.m.lloyd. You can follow me on Facebook at Dr. Tiffany M. Lloyd and subscribe to my YouTube channel at Jesus and Justice with Dr. Tiff. Thank you so much. Thank you, looking forward to have you back. Thank you. All right, remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember the truth is always indisputable.